Super Talk Mississippi media production. Have you been seriously injured? Mama Justice is here for you. Our medical team partners with top-notch doctors, surgeons, therapists, and urologists, ensuring a comprehensive recovery journey. If you've been injured, call Mama Justice today. We're here for you. Howdy, howdy. It's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbert along with Rhino in the Element Wealth Studios guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music on this hump day. Middle of the week we have uh, made it indeed. On the program today in the next segment at 1020, Thomas Gregory, State Coordinator of the Mississippi Main Street Association, and then at 11.05, a timely interview with Jeremy Nelson, partner at Element Wealth. It is timely, of course, because we're coming up on tax day. That is uh, April 17th this year, because the 15th, the customary deadline to file one's federal income taxes, uh, occurs on a Saturday, so we'll have to send it on in on uh, Monday, if you wait that long. A lot of stuff to talk about regarding that, and then looking forward to an interview, our second uh, such interview with Riley Gaines. You know who she is, the All-American champion swimmer who competed against Leah Thomas, a male who has identified as a female. This was in the NCAA Swimming Championships. Riley, since then, has been an activist, a rather outspoken one, indeed, calling for prohibition of biological males to compete in female sports competition. She goes to San Francisco State University last Thursday and addresses a group of students and others there, but was, uh, frankly, ambushed, verbally accosted to drown out her speech, and then ambushed by what is being reported as a male wearing a dress some transgender activists that ain't happy about Riley's stance on female sports competition, had to barricade herself in a room connected to the area where she was speaking for a fair amount of time to wait until the smoke cleared there. But we got Riley on at 12.05, and we'll get her to 
give us a breakdown of what happened last Thursday. This is crazy, is it not? It's crazy. Who would have ever thought that this would take center stage in our country? Well, I'll give you an example that makes it even crazier. Okay. You go back to, what was it, 2018 when the Me Too movement was in full swing? Yeah. When everyone was outing their assaulters and accusers were coming out of the woodwork. And one of the main problems with uh, with the, the proponents for Me Too was taking down Harvey Weinstein. Yeah. Who was notorious for exposing himself in front of female actresses. Or you've got the comedian, Louis C.K., who was now infamous for exposing himself in front of females. And the left lost their minds about it. <laughs> to remember it. But now they're defending dudes exposing themselves to females. <laughs> That's crazy. I agree. That's upside down. If the left didn't have double standards, they wouldn't have standards at all. Mm. In North Carolina, it appears that a cosmetic surgery clinic has performed gender surgery on girls as young as 14. 14. The Cosmetic Concierge, a plastic surgery clinic in Charlotte, North Carolina, performed elective double mastectomies on teen patients, including at least one who was 14 years of age. This is crazy. And then there are photos being shared, the before and after screenshots, on the clinic's website. This seems to me like that would be child pornography. I would agree. Showed the images, of course, depict the results of what is described as top surgery. And that's uh, a procedure where the healthy breasts of females who desire a more masculine appearance are removed. And these photos included patients as young as 14. Obviously, they're proud of it. And so where we are in this country is that those who oppose this radical gender treatment surgery being performed on females, we're fascist. And those on the left who fully support it say that it's totally necessary for the well-being of the child, physical and mental including the Admiral, what the hell's her name, the transition. Adam Levine. Yeah. (laughs) That is like number two person at the... Who has a questionable past as a pediatrician. Correct. Seen that too. That's who... Do you think there's any reason that individual was appointed to this position by Joe Biden other than that? He doesn't know what clothes to wear? Right. You think so? Do you think it had anything to it's do with his only qualification? Only qualifications. Once again, what the person is, not who they are. Let's see. You're looking down the list here. We got to have us a transgender running the Department of Health. Okay, here's one. We got the Admiral here. 
Who has been? Excuse me, Richard Levine, not Adam Levine. Richard. I think Adam Levine's a comedian. That's right. It's Richard. Uh, <laughs> but what does uh, he want to be referred to as far as first name now? Rachel. Rachel, okay. Yeah, Richard's his dead name. Okay. So I went from Rich. I'm laughing because I don't know how else to react. It's so insane. It's it so is absurd. insane. How in the world have doctors and the medical community foregone their oath to do no harm? Unbelievable. When somebody, when a 14-year-old shows up to a doctor's office with anorexia, they don't hide the food from them. I'm looking at these photos. I mean, this is disgusting. It's a mental illness, and they treat it as if it's this magical fairy thing that has to be cultivated. No, treat the mental illness. Right. So the photos appear to have been, of course, scrubbed from the website. But make no mistake, they were proud of this, boasting about it. Honestly, they're promoting it because they're looking for more customers. Because it's expensive. And you remember we played the the video, the sound. I, I can't get this one out of my head. Vanderbilt, not far from here, Nashville, the deep south, Tennessee, where Vanderbilt Medical Center, they had a, a uh, convention, if you want to call it that. They had a meeting, big meeting, that consisted of healthcare professionals and one of them from Vanderbilt there was discussing those services, these gender transitioning, chop off your, your breast services, tops and bottom services. And you remember she made the comment, speaking to her medical colleagues, about how lucrative this was. Because not only are the initial procedures very expensive, but you need medical treatment for life. You're hooked. They're basically... Yeah, because they've mutilated your body in the name of equity and inclusion. You're hooked on it. And she made it very clear, this is good, this is lucrative. That's disgusting. It just is. So, I believe the Tennessee legislature ordered it to be stopped, and I think they are one of the states who has outlawed, which is outlawed, gender treatment, surgery, drugs, etc., on minors. I think they're one. So once again, it's another one of these issues where the states are bifurcating. They're departing from each other. You're going to have states that fully embrace this, allow it, promote it, praise it, welcome those who want it, and then you're going to have states that are prohibiting it. We're just so far from agreeing on anything in this country. Well, it's because you got half the country that can't figure out what they want to believe until they're spoon-fed it by idiots. It's, it's terrible. I mean, where? give me the old days when we just argued about taxes and spending. Now, we, we don't do that anymore. It's all these social issues. Gotta Radical the wag the dog. That's exactly right. Coming back with Thomas Gregory, state coordinator of the Mississippi Main Street Association. Please stay with us. We're in the Element Wealth Studios. Gerard Gibbert. He keeps his classified documents right where they belong. Inside a journey record jacket from the 1980s. 
Gerard Gibbert, Super Talk Mississippi. Yes, bumping us into this segment here on Middays. We are live in the Element Well Studios. Joining us now, Thomas Gregory, State Coordinator for the Mississippi Main Street Association. Thomas, thanks for coming on Middays. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. All right, tell us about Mississippi Main Street, uh, exactly the association. What do you guys do? What's your mission? Yeah, we're a statewide 501c3 nonprofit, and we provide support and training for our more than 48 um, designated Main Street communities all across the state. Our mission is to serve as a catalyst for the preservation and economic revitalization of Mississippi's historic downtowns and traditional commercial districts. So we're, we're busy. Yeah, because I, I was thinking about uh, just what would be uh, the, the cities, the towns that would be categorized thusly a bunch of them in Mississippi. Yeah, we've got 48, like I said, designated Main Street programs, which is our highest level of uh, membership. Those are communities that are invested in a downtown revitalization effort. They have a local executive director and a board of directors that supports the work locally. Um, Typically, the municipality is a strong partner with our local programs. Um, So we've got We've got programs from DeSoto County all the way down to the Gulf Coast, in the Delta, the Hills, the Capital Area. Um, all, all parts of the state uh, have have Main Street programs. So when you talk programs, what do you mean specifically? Yeah, typically Main Street programs are their own organizations, typically a nonprofit of some sort, 501c3 or 501c6. Um, they, they have their own local board of directors, like I mentioned, that are um, going about the mission of the local revitalization effort. Um, so it's a, it's a program of work that is in the community with a specific mission of downtown revitalization. Okay. Well, I've uh, been fortunate to host some remote uh, broadcasts for the show in in many of the communities that I think are members, Mm -hmm. and I have noticed that there is uh, clearly, visibly, uh, revitalization occurring in some of these downtown efforts, uh, uh, areas that were historically vibrant areas in their day, uh, the downtowns, and uh, I guess I've just kind of deteriorated a bit through time, mainly just as a result of time. And now there seems to be a concerted effort to kind of restore those to where they were and maybe even make them better. That's right. And and the decline of downtowns was not just a Mississippi thing. It was yeah. a national trend that happened um, really in the 60s and 70s and on into the 80s. And um, that's how Main Street got its its founding in, in the early 1980s. There was a group with the National Trust for Historic Preservation that wanted to see if they could apply the same sort of preservation ethic to a downtown revitalization uh, effort. And they, they adopted a couple of cities in the the Midwest and found that the model that they used was very successful at bringing those downtowns back to their former uh, glory, if you will. Uh, And so that model became what is now now known as Main Street. And and Mississippi's program was founded in 1984. We'll be celebrating our 40th anniversary next year. Um, And over the past four decades, we have continued to expand uh, from just a handful of of local programs to the, you know, four dozen that we, we have today. What are the benefits? 
Um, I think the benefit of, of being a Main Street is, um, you know, having access to the resources that we and our national organization provide. Uh, I think it's important to remember that revitalization doesn't just happen on its own, that it takes a concerted effort and a very, um, um, you, you know, it takes a framework for for that, and so we we follow sure. a model known as the Main Street approach that focuses on four different areas that work together. And so it's it's the thought that goes into doing the work that it takes uh, day in and day out to achieve sustained revitalization over a long period of time. Yeah, uh, and this is important, and and uh, especially in a state like Mississippi, where the population is uh, fairly dispersed. Mm-hmm. We we are a more of a rural state, but it's ru- it's rural areas that are served by these downtown communities that, uh, frankly, are 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 serving a large population that is is fairly spread out. I mean, that's just the nature of our state. That's right, and I think Mississippi is a really good case study for how the Main Street approach scales. We have Main Street communities uh, in really small places like Woodville and Tunica. Uh, And then we have Main Street programs in some of our larger cities like Tupelo and Hattiesburg and Biloxi and Gulfport. Um, And so the Main Street model really really does scale to fit any size community. And I think Mississippi's uh, status as a rural state or a state comprised of rural communities makes Main Street a really effective model at community transformation um, just because of the way that that our, our, our framework works. Do you work with the legislatures, anything at the state level from a policy or, or um, law perspective? Yeah, so we, we are in close partnership with the state of Mississippi. We've been um, uh, partners with the, the Mississippi Development Authority and the Department of Archives and History since our founding. They were two agencies that came together to help establish Mississippi's Main Street program. Uh, over the past two years, we've gotten more involved in, in legislative advocacy and uh, have seen some success as a result of that. Uh, last year, uh, our organization, or, or rather our communities, I should say, um, received five million dollars worth of ARPA funding hmm. to go towards downtown revitalization projects. All that funding goes straight to our 48 designated communities based on population. Uh, and this past legislative session, the one that just ended, we saw sort of an addendum to that. They they allocated an additional $3 million in ARPA funding uh, to sort of tack on to the $5 million that our, our programs received last year. So uh, we are working with all of our communities to identify the projects that are going to have the biggest impact in the communities and and implement those according to the the guidelines that uh, the Department of Treasury sets out for all of the ARPA funding uh, that is dispersed. So we're really excited about uh, those opportunities and and we know that the types of projects that Main Street does and will do with these funds will will be good stewards of that uh, that money and um, I think it's going to be something that people around the state are going to start to see uh, and understand the value that that Main Street can bring when um, you know there's a little bit of an investment in our downtowns. Are most of these projects, are are they more common infrastructure in nature or are they um, remodeling renovating building structures that have existed in the uh, downtown areas for a long time the main streets if you will or combination of the two yes and yes so um, you're gonna see some of those funds being used to improve streetscapes and public spaces in a downtown Um, I know some of our communities are interested in doing uh, facade uh, improvement programs where they're uh, fixing up the exterior 
facing walls of, mm-hmm. of buildings, uh, historic buildings in the downtown. Um, some of our communities are interested in uh, creating wayfinding signage systems to help visitors uh, navigate the community and know where the top destinations are. Um, all of those, one of the good things about the funding is that there is some flexibility for the local programs to decide how best to use the funds. We always uh, believe that you know, you know the local community knows its needs best. Uh, so we're, we're here to provide guidance and direction, um, but understanding that those local boards um, know their community best and they know the projects that are going to have the biggest impact. And so uh, we're looking forward to seeing the fruits of, of that work um, start to happen here in the pretty near future. So you talked to us about uh, some public funding. Specifically, you said you receive uh, some uh, via the ARPA uh, program. What about private funding? You receive some, is that as well? We do. So our funding, you know, in part comes from um, state, the state. Um, you know, budget. Mm-hmm. Um, we also um, partner really heavily with the corporate sector in Mississippi. So, uh, you know, uh, uh, we receive a lot of private sector support. Um, I see. And, um, you know, we are a 501c3, so contributions to our organization are tax deductible. And I, I think one of the things that some of the larger corporations in the state, you look at Entergy Mississippi and Mississippi Power um, and some of the larger financial institutions that have invested with Mississippi Main Street, they see a return on that investment because we are doing the work in our communities that helps prime the local economies for success. And so if you're uh, a bank, for example, that's looking – you know, for small business owners, people to make loans to. The work that Main Street does helps create, um, you know, an economic environment that is ripe for job creation, ripe for business growth and expansion, that catalyzes public and private investment in a community that ends up being good business for the financial institution. Yeah. So do you, do you also work with the, uh, the cities and municipalities on marketing and promoting their cities for uh, prospective residents, uh, new businesses, economic development projects. Absolutely. So our local programs are doing a lot of that, you know, for their own communities. But we, as a state organization, do a lot of uh, a promotion of our our main streets, you know, as a whole um, to to market the sort of collective opportunities that exist um, in the state. In fact, we um, we we have a spot on Rebecca Turner's um, yeah. afternoon show. She talks a lot about the festivals and events that our our programs uh, put on in the spring and the fall. Um, so, you know, s- statewide promotion is a big part of what our association brings to those communities that are our are members. Um, and we want to let people know that there's always something going on, you know, on Mississippi's main streets. Yeah. Well, you guys have done a good job because I know you've been involved in a lot of the projects that we have seen across, uh, in particular, the smaller and mid-sized towns across the state of Mississippi, the, the downtowns. Everywhere I go, look fantastic, honestly. Well, thank you. We appreciate that. Yeah. Thomas Gregory, State Coordinator of Mississippi Main Street Association, has been our guest. Appreciate you coming on, Thomas. Thank you. Keep up the good work. We're coming right back with more on Midday. Stay with us. the stories that matter most to Mississippians. Gerard Gibbert. Middays with Gerard. Super Talk Mississippi.
with you in the Element Wealth Studios. It is middays. Jeremy Nelson joins us, partner at Element Wealth at 11.05. And then Riley Gaines, All-American swimmer, uh, competed, of course, in the female competition, what used to be and was defeated by a male, Leah Thomas. Um, this is bizarre stuff going on, is it not? And how do we get out of this craziness? Do we? It's mm, uh, It'll take the feminists actually growing a backbone again. Yeah, because, because it's women's sports that are predominantly being harmed by this. Or, not predominantly, but it's... That is the most high-profile instance that you see, is women's sports being degraded by loser dudes dressing up like women to go beat women in the sports. <laughs> loser dudes. Because it doesn't happen the other way around. You don't have women identifying as men competing and beating men. It just doesn't happen. I love it. Loser dudes. <laughs> That's well, look the... at any of them. Look at any of these guys dressed up like gals. And look at their record when they were a dude. It was abysmal. Yeah. They were losers. I, I hear you. I, I agree. And it's amazing to me how, like, Aaliyah Thomas could, with a straight face, I mean, with pumping fists, so ecstatic, exuberant, won this swimming competition. But it, what's the difference between that and, say, a high school kid playing some sports and defeating, like, an elementary school kid, a first grader, even if they're the same, they're both males? Like, what's, what's the sport of that? What's the accomplishment in that? And that's, I thought that was all part of you know, some degree of competitive sports where you sort of align with people like you. That's why you have weight classes in boxing and fighting sports. It's why you have different classifications in track and field. Makes sense to me. So what's really shocking, and I'm going to ask Riley about it today, you've seen this, there's some 40... Female Olympians, I believe. I think they're all females that have signed a letter where they're calling for the inclusion of dudes, as you say, <laughs> who identifies females in sporting competition. They're on the other side of the fence of this issue than Riley, who's saying, no, females ought to compete with females. Which ironically comes back to something you rail against is when you get to the top and then pull the ladder up after you exactly right and i wonder every I... single one of these women were able to compete in their sport against other women and they didn't have to worry about dudes coming in and beating them i got my medal you're on your own i gotta be woke and i've got a virtue signal and I'm, a, I'm in for a bigger cause now that I got my medal. It's, it's no different than 
some of these extremely wealthy people that are all about redistribution and climate change and the, and the entire leftist agenda. Well, they got their billions. The heck with you. You got to do as I say now. I mean, it's is it not disgusting that John Kerry runs around one of the wealthiest people on the planet? And he he scolds the rest of us and uh, implores us, basically wants to demand that we all just fall in line with the whole climate change agenda. And he jets around the world doing that. Not for him, though. Rules for thee, but not for me. I think people are sick of that. Maybe I'm maybe I'm not reading that right. I believe I am, though, that folks are sick of that crap. But that's just an example. So it, it disturbed me that all these Olympians came out in support of this nonsense. Which Ben from Madison points out, one of them, I, in my opinion, as long as women like Megan Rapino, who's one of those Olympians, are supporting men competing with women, nothing will change anytime soon. I agree. So you, Which you, goes back to the whole, Megan Rapino plays for the U.S. women's national team, the number one team in the world in women's soccer, and they got beat by 15-year-old teenage boys. You, you made There's the a point. difference in men and women's sports. I, you made the point, did you? Where are the feminists? Where are the feminists? I totally agree. I don't know where they are. Oh, man. I, it's um, And so on the ceasefire text line, Steve in Pontotoc says, start a transgender sport or classification. And I know that's a lot of folks propose that. But here's the problem. That costs money. That you, already exists. It's called the men's leagues. <laughs> If you want to compete against the best, you compete in the men's leagues. It's just a fact of life. They don't want to exist in reality. They don't want to admit that men have a competitive advantage in physical sports over women. Right. Now you've seen anthropologists and the anthropology community are like eliminating... The, uh, the practice of identifying the gender of uh, a person whose bones they have recovered. You've seen that? Because you can oh, yeah. tell, right? Physically, from bones, historically, anthropologists have said, yeah, these are the bones of a male or a female, a man or a woman, a boy or a girl. You can they usually can tell. tell based on the skull or the pelvis. Okay. I thought there's also something in the arms, too, right? Um, uh, it's not as conclusive, but they can use that, yeah. Okay. Experts are a lot better at that than lay people. Okay. I, and I only know this because I like know this you is... or I could look at two different pelvises of a male and a female and go, yeah, that looks different. Okay. So it's not like it requires like inspection under a microscope no. and all sorts of measurements and tools and technology and, and uh, digging through books. It's, it's pretty obvious, is what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. So, But you've seen this, the anthropologists, because they've been pressured. Well, you don't know how they identified this person that was here 1,500 years ago, whose bones you found somewhere buried beneath the earth. You can't, you can't assume that's a male or a female based on the bone structure, as we have for years, right? Hundreds upon hundreds of years in the science of anthropology. 
Now we argue that goes back all the way to Leonardo da Vinci or earlier. Well, that's a long because time ago. Because his understanding of human anatomy shows differences between men and women. So help me remember my history. When was he? 1600s? Renaissance. I think it was 1400s. Okay. 700 years ago. That practice has been around. And, that, and that's the earliest we know of. But it we're supposed to turn with... 700 years of practice on its head for less than 1% of the population who is mentally ill and needs help. <laughs> it's just sad. I don't think this is getting enough attention. I really don't. And we don't see it a lot here in Mississippi, and that may be why. But this is, uh, this is storming across the country. And it will be an issue in the coming election. It will be. Guarantee to you, it's going to get brought up. So, more recently, we have a sick transgender who goes and kills children at a school. We've got Riley Gaines who gets nearly assaulted, rushed at a minimum, because they're just speaking out. She's there to speak her opinion. These, so these same people who describe and label those of us on the right as fascist attend what should be an orderly, innocuous, informative speech where someone is just expressing their views. I thought that's part of what we do in this country. I thought we especially embrace and welcome the concept of free speech and wide ranges of ideas on college campuses. I thought that was the whole purpose. But not anymore. It's all one way, one-sided. And if it's not, by God, we're coming after you. I mean, we're going to assault you. We're going to shout you down. You can't express your opinion here on this college campus. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. This is why I like old Vivek Ramaswamy, who says, first thing we got to do is return to the principle of free speech. We can't have a functioning free society without it. Totally agree with that. We're stepping aside for a break right here. We're coming back with another segment in this hour on Middays, and then Jeremy Nelson after the top of the hour. Stay with us. Days with Gerard. Good for America. Good for fans of justice and truth. Good for us. Super Talk Mississippi. This is what we stand for. We are back in the Element Wealth Studios. It is midday. Super Talk Mississippi. Are you thinking about or planning for retirement? Do you have a plan? Go to myelementwealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. On the economic front, we'll talk to Jeremy Nelson of Element Wealth here in a few minutes, but on the economic front, we got inflation report this morning, came in 
a little cooler than expected, not a lot. The market initially reacted very positively to the news. It's pulled back some. It's in the green uh, presently, but this is also earnings week, earnings season well underway. We'll talk to Jeremy about that, but back to this gender movement, I'm going to call it that, in this country. If the NCAA, this is Stephen Ponatok on the ceasefire text line, want, won't get their heads out of their butts, let all these schools, colleges, and universities pull out of the NCAA and start a new college sports association. And what you're missing there, Steve, is the schools support this. That's what you're missing. It's we sort of rank-and-file people that don't have any control or authority. We see this as nuts, and we oppose it. The schools embrace it. Why do you think uh, most of them do, I'm going to say, Rhino? Most of them do. I know you're thinking through it right now. Yeah. But I would argue that most of them do. So you could end up with multiple organizations. And that may be where we're headed, honestly, because they can't seem to get together on uh, a lot of the more critical, fundamental issues. But let's start with University of Pennsylvania. I mean, they, they let Leah Thomas swim on the girls' swimming team. They fully embrace it and support it, even after other members of the team, the, the girls, said, we're not real comfortable with this guy being <laughs> this dude, as you call him, in the locker room. So, we'll, and we'll certainly discuss this with Riley Gaines on the program later, but you saw the, you read some of it yesterday, didn't you? The response from San Francisco State University. Now, I know people are saying, well, it's San Francisco. What do you expect? It ain't just San Francisco. That's the whole problem. What, what did we talk about a couple of weeks ago? University of Michigan has more, more DEI employees than they do history teachers. And do you know that they're having segregated graduation? I thought the whole purpose of DEI was to unite. In fact, all it's done is divide. Morgan Freeman has commented on this of late. He says, you know the way to end racism? Quit talking about it. Yeah, that's been his stance for almost two decades now. Yeah, yeah. And remember, he was being interviewed... I want to say with a, by a black correspondent journalist from CNN, and said, what do you mean racism? How do you think you got here? And me, remember, I'm paraphrasing a bit, but, but that's the idea he was right. trying to convey. Like, well, how the hell did we get here if the place is so systematically, systemically racist? A great point. In, um, it's because the left and the liberals and the bleeding hearts and the losers keep moving the goalpost. That's why you have the phrase microaggression that entered the lexicon. Very true. Hmm. Ben from Madison says the trans leagues are really just the men's leagues. That's exactly what Rhino said. But I would suggest, okay, well, that would be a, a separate category of competition for men who have transitioned or think they're women. I guess that's what it would be. I don't know how many women would jump in that, biological females, that are, want to be men. You think they'd jump in? Well, look that at leave? another reason why I call the dudes wearing dresses competing against women losers. You never see any of these male athletes come out and say, look at me, I'm transitioning, but I'm going to stay on the men's team. True. 
Because you have women that play on men's teams in limited roles. You've got we got a female kicker here in Mississippi. Right. Was excellent playing football. And that's totally different. So why different. haven't we seen any of these brave men who want to live as women still playing on the men's team? Yeah. Uh, it's a good point. And, you know, that's totally different matter than someone whose orientation is gay. Because they're, no doubt, they're gay NFL football players. Some have come out. I mean, didn't somebody come out when Obama was president and he and Michelle just fawned all over him or had him to the White House or something like that? I, it's, I've seemed to recall. Was that the guy from Missouri? Maybe so. Got drafted in like the seventh round, but had the news crew there for him. That's right. Was was not a a high draft pick, but was just absolutely receiving an abundance of praise was being heaped on him. You're so brave for coming out. But uh, it just seems to conflict with this stay out of my bedroom and my body stuff. But yet, we you keep thrusting it on us. You won't leave us alone. You keep poking us in the eye. We want to stay out of it. We want you to leave it alone, too. That's that's what's just a double standard. As you say, that's how, it, how we roll. We're coming right back with Jeremy Nelson from Element Wealth. That's after Fox News and Super Talk News. Get ready. Get ready. To go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. We are back in the Element Well Studios, hour two of middays. Gerard and Rhino with you on this hump day. And joining us now is partner at Element Wealth, uh, Jeremy Nelson. Jeremy, good to see you. Always a pleasure, Gerard. And thanks for coming in. I'm heard, hearing all kinds of uh, good reports. I've listened a couple of times uh, uh, to your your show. Oh, thank you. It's on the on yeah. the network. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Sunday mornings at eight thirty. Yeah, it's fun. You yeah, know, just a little something different and. Uh, Get to give some, you know, practical advice and talk about, you know, just tips and strategies for saving and give listeners an opportunity to call in, meet with us. So it's been really good. Yeah. So uh, the reason for our our meeting today, our interview today, is it's tax day right around the corner. Comes around this time of year, unfortunately. So it's April seventeenth, eighteenth. Right? 18th? Oh, yeah, well, okay. There's some 18th, weird holiday on Monday, so it's like Tuesday. I thought the 18th was uh, for those areas affected by oh, that's the right. tornadoes. That's right. Right, the, the storm. Oh, I think or, 17th. or if you live in Jackson, the water. Okay. Yeah, The that's rest right. of us are the 17th. Yeah. So you get another day. You got an extra day, I think, yeah. Okay. But that's because the 15th, was the, which is the traditional April 15th, start of vacation for the accountants. They look forward to that, and they have a big blowout, typically, on the night of April 15th. Uh, so that's coming up. What should folks be doing to prepare for tax day? Well, number one, you know, make sure that you have all of your information to your CPA so that they can get it in on time. Or your tax preparer yeah, may not be a CPA. Yeah, tax preparer might not be a CPA. Yeah. Um, you know, make, make sure you're getting that in. Um, 
and at least you know being prepared to file your extension and because you want to have an even if you're filing an extension you want to have an accurate estimate because you don't want to underpay taxes right and then be penalized later on so you really want to have a good handle on you know what your overall tax liability is going to look like and then you know if you're uh, self-employed or if you've got uh, the ability to fund IRAs or HSAs things like that you know you've got up until your tax filing day to fund those retirement vehicles or HSAs to reduce that tax liability so you want to make sure you give your tax preparer CPA a few days to look at it to let you know hey here's how much you can put into a SEP IRA or an IRA or an HSA uh, to help you control those tax liabilities yeah, yeah. so uh, the IRS is reporting that it expects lower refunds this year, and that's mainly because of all the various uh, programs that were temporary mm-hmm. during the COVID era, the American Rescue Plan and so forth, which, which uh, implemented a, a number of tax credits yep. that you typically aren't going to see and receive and be accounted for until you do your return, send your return in. Yep. In which case, you're, you're going to show a, a refund due. So they're saying that that's down. Expected to be down this year. Of course, not sure how you feel about this. I've always felt like I don't want a refund. I don't want the government to use my money. I want to make sure that I'm only paying in the minimum to stay out of trouble. Yeah, yeah. My, with the IRS, and I don't want a refund. Yeah, look, I, I I am one that says, look, I basically want to have paid in as close to the appropriate amount as possible. You know, you don't want to be, I mean, today, right? Think about, you know, with interest rates and money markets at 4%, you know, if you have a huge amount of money sitting with the government, well, you haven't been collecting your 4% that could you could have been a money market, right? So um, you're much, much better off to, you know, pay, the, pay an accurate amount and then settle up at the end of the year. Yeah. So I am reading, it does look like you're right. April 18th is the date, right? Yeah, That's, I just double-checked. Yeah. So I'm sorry, I got that wrong. So, and it has to do with... Monday, there's something special about Monday. Yeah, there's right? some holiday. So, I don't know what it is. I mean, I feel like there's a holiday like every month now. That yeah, it's just some random holiday, and it, I think it's because federal workers want the day off or something. Emancipation Day. Okay. April seventeenth is emancipation. Just check the IRS site. Is Emancipation Day recognized in Washington D.C.? Okay. So where the IRS is located. So the fifteenth falls on a Saturday. Emancipation Day is Monday, the 17th, and thus uh, the tax returns are due on the 18th. So you got little breathing room. But also, I thought there was some extension granted for those in the uh, areas affected by the storm. I thought there was maybe that's state. I've seen conflicting maybe reports, but they uh, some have them say some reports have them given an opportunity to wait until June or July at the okay. latest. Okay. We'll we'll do a little research on that, but nonetheless, yeah, I, I, I'm pretty sure that because Jackson proper was in which I'm, the water. I'm lucky enough to live in and don't have garbage pickup. Yeah, um, but that, I believe that if you're in Jackson proper, that there was a um, extension, an of, extension yeah. because of the water crisis. Could be. Yeah, which but I don't know what that has to do with taxes. But, but I think that may that may apply to state. Yeah, not federal. Yeah. I just found it. It's okay. it's taxpayers in storm affected areas of Mississippi now have until July thirty first for file various federal, individual, okay. and business returns to make tax payments according to the IRS. All right, and well, that would I guess include the city of Jackson because of the water. Yeah. So I, federal as well, right, Rhino? What you just read? That's correct. Okay. Yeah. 
All right. well, what would we do without Rhino? Well, I don't know. He's pretty pretty nifty looking all that junk up there. Uh, he's pretty pretty fast. He's like a he's like a Chat G- GPT prompt machine for Google. <laughs> <laughs> so that's you you watched a. They're going to be a whole curriculum around Chat GPT or AI generative AI systems prompts. There'd be a whole curriculum around it. No doubt about it. It's coming. So, all right, and I actually think that we will eventually get to the point where tax preparation will be completely automated. I, that, uh, you can, I mean, there's some things that I think still require some human logic and analysis, but it's it's fairly close to that now. Yeah, I mean, think look, I mean, if, if you just have W-2s and, you know, normal mortgage interest and things like that, you don't have K-1s and things for your tax returns, it's pretty simple to put it in turbo it, it is uh, agree but I, I kind of envision a point where all of that input data is just automatically integrated in without the need yeah. for you to have to enter well it. I mean think about like on your iPhone right face recognition and things like that so they can sure. use that software if you just scan the document sure to pick up the data well I'm, I've seen it be more of an electronic yeah. interchange where yeah. all, all the yeah, folks who have to send you these various documents uh, where your income is recorded mm-hmm. and uh, reported, yeah. that just gets reported electronically yeah. into the systems. But so, uh, all right. So tax day, you talked about that. Let's talk about uh, the markets. The Fed uh, raised rates nine times since they started the Fed hiking campaign. Yep. Uh, we went from zero to five or so in a very short period of time. Mm-hmm. That has wreaked havoc on the banking sector. Yes. Uh, and and just try to explain that in layman's terms. A lot of the banks were uh, investing. Banks make money by loaning mm-hmm. or investing, and they invested in long-term, long-duration bonds at higher interest rates. Normally, if you park your money for a longer period of time, you get a higher return, higher interest rate. Mm-hmm. Well, that's all great, except within a few months, the interest rates went through the route on new issues of those same-duration bonds, which made their old bonds are sitting on for 30 years less valuable. That, in a nutshell, is what caused the liquidity crisis. Yeah, basically you had, you know, like Silicon Valley Bank held all of these long-term bonds. So for our listeners, think about, you know, if you owned like AGG, right, the the aggregate bond index ETF, you know, it was down 13% in 2022, right? And that has a duration of about, you know, six and a half years. So they had 10-year treasuries and even longer in their portfolio. So think about how much those went down in value and you know they were holding them at book value, you know what they were going to mature for instead of holding them at what they were really marked at and when people started pulling money out, they had to sell at sell these things at the discounts which created the massive losses in the insolvency. Yeah. So just for the the uh, our our audience, the the way it works is if you're sitting on a bond, this 30-year bond and it's paying 3%, but I can go buy one at the Fed window today that pays 5%, as an example. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, i got to sell that bond because I need the cash, because you don't banks don't necessarily buy bonds and hold them to maturity. Yep. They're tradable assets, and somebody's managing all that. Well, when they go to try to sell that 3% bond in a market where an investor can get 5% on a new one, they're going to have to take a big old haircut on that 3% bond. Yep. If they bought it for $100,000, they may have to sell it for 80 yep. which means 
means I just lost twenty grand yep. on that investment. Exactly. After in, I mean, that in a nutshell is kind of what happened. What? Totally. It? That is exactly it. Man, well, what a big old mess. Uh, you can hang around with yep. us, can't you? Absolutely. I, I want to ask you your thoughts on, and we'll catch this on the other side of the break. We need to, to transition to a mark-to-market model in the banking industry, in my view. Totally agree. I'm interested to hear your thoughts yep. on that. We got Jeremy Nelson from Element Wealth in the Element Wealth Studios, and we're coming right back. Talk that keeps Mississippi talking. We're rolling. Hit it. Go. Play it. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. See what you did there, Rhino. Little Pink Floyd money with the money guy here, Jeremy Nelson, Element Wealth. So I don't think we're just talking about the mark to market stuff, and um, it's it's complicated. But had SVB had they been adhering to or required to adhere uh, to mark to market mm-hmm. principles, all that long term debt they had on their books. They would have marked to market as part of their financial statement yes. presentation, yes. and then they would have showed huge losses. Yeah. So it, on, on the investment front for banks, right? You have um, you have assets that are subject to mark to market accounting, and then you have assets that can be considered held to maturity. And so high quality bonds, treasuries, things like that, can you know were they were able to consider those held to maturity securities. So they didn't have to reflect the losses, you know, the the market value, right? The difference between what they paid and what they could sell it for. Yeah. They didn't have to reflect that in their earnings. Yeah. So, you know, but the reality is, I, I mean, I think you and I were just talking. If the bank, if they had to mark everything to market, then that would have been well known. And I don't think that they would have taken that risk either Exactly at that point in time. Or they would have hedged that interest rate risk exactly. potentially. Yeah, they would yeah. have been forced to hedge it, yeah. and they would have had to be a whole lot more careful with their investment selections. Yeah. They, wouldn't, they wouldn't have dumped so much money in these long-duration bonds, because we all knew that this nonsense about inflation is transitory wasn't going to hold, and we knew that as a result, the Fed was going to raise rates, which would devalue their bonds. Yeah, like we we, st- we were talking about this over a year ago on the show, right? And um, ultimately, anybody could see that a 6% inflation rate in December of 2021 and a 1.5% 10-year Treasury, like this didn't make yeah. sense. Yeah. Now, did, did, did you think you're going to nine straight rate hikes and go up to 500 basis points as fast as we've ever gone? No, not necessarily. But you knew something was going to happen. You knew there was going to be an impact. And it doesn't take a math genius 
to you know to do the calculations as to how much a long-term bond is going to go down if rates go up 100 or 200 basis points. It, it's shocking to me that you know the regulators didn't see this, that the auditors didn't you know pick they this did, up. Jeremy. I mean, these are smart people. They at least knew that, at all least this. That, they that didn't nothing, speak up. That nothing was said. And, and what it comes down to is that there's a difference in the stress testing um, that regional banks have to go through versus the systemically important banks. Yep. Right? And now... SIBs, they're called. The SIBs, yep. yep. So uh, that's the J.P. Morgans, yep. Wells Fargo's of the world, right? Bank of America. So yep. I, I think that... Now, there's a counterpoint to this that said So you could say, well, let's put the same regulatory burden of the J.P. Morgans on these other banks. Well, that's going to crush community banking. So that's not necessarily... A good thing, right? right. Because right. one of the great things about the American banking sector is that it's it's very localized, very regionalized, right? Um, there are loans that you small business loans or different things, uh, land deals that you can go to your local bank and get done. And if 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 J.P. Morgan and and Wells Fargo and Bank of America were the only banking options that we had, because you know no one else was in business. They wouldn't take those deals because they don't move the needle. They don't. That's right. So, so having that localized um, banking sector is great for the American economy because it provides more credit. But you, when you see issues like what happened at Silicon Valley Bank, you go, well, we we do have to have some sort of a regulatory response to right. this. Right. Now, I don't think that this is something that we're gonna we'll get through this, and I don't think that we'll see it again. Right. It's just you like. Don't? No, you don't see I, any more bank failures? No, no, I, I think there are more. Warren Buffett even came out I and do said. Too. So I think that there's still some more here, but I'm saying we'll get through this episode. Oh, I got you. Right? And got then you. on the back end of it, I don't think you're going to see banks making the same mistakes, just like they're not doing ninja loans right oh, now. Oh, well, in I, fact, you've, I know you've seen the reports that are in the last two to three weeks, we've seen the largest decline of new loans being made, originated by banks, well, than ever in and our this, history. And this this was one of our big points to, hey, w- we talked about this, I think, when I was in Las Vegas on spring break, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I webbed in. What we, we said at the beginning of the year, we see a recession later in the year. Mm-hmm. And we think this advances the case because we on, on our interview, I said, look, you're going to see banks pulling back now on credit. Right. They banks are. they and and the evidence is showing within a couple of weeks yeah. it's only been I a mean, few weeks rapidly here, they are pulling back now mortgage loans have declined origination of mortgage yep. loans way down yep uh, the standard asset based lending way down i think a combination of being more careful perhaps mm-hmm. uh trying to trying to uh, uh just keep their balance sheet in order Yep. And and all, all the above is at play here. Now, I think the important thing, like, there's going to be more stress in the residential housing market. There's probably going to be some stress in the commercial markets, although the publicly traded REITs, I think, are already pricing a lot of that in, yeah. largely. Uh, I think a lot of them are probably trading below their intrinsic value. That's real estate investment trust, yep. by the way. Um, but... You know, for investors, the one thing to remember is, you know, it's a marathon, right? Right. But and and going all in and all out and panicking and being emotional typically never works, right? 
really focus on quality because there are still a, there's a lot of quality assets out there and if you allocate properly you you will ride through the storm. Well, right. so the good news you and I have talked about, and I have a question here on the ceasefire text line, is that there's a lot more opportunity for just standard income producing assets to, to generate a lot more uh, return than you than you could even a year ago. Absolutely. Right? So, I was just I was just on the on a web call before this with a client in France, and um, that has assets here, and I mean we're like six and a half percent yield on that portfolio. Yeah. Not bad. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I was talking with, I had a meeting with Fidelity this morning. I had a breakfast with them, and, you know, we're looking inside, you know, like regular core bond funds, and they've got yield to worst at 6%. Unbelievable. So, you know, look, there are still a lot of options, and I think that, you know, you just, you probably want to have a little bit less risk in your portfolio today. You want to be a little more high quality. I think that, you know, core bonds are a really, really good place to be. They're going to provide ballast in the portfolio. Don't be scared from what happened last year because that that was kind of a one-time thing. That's not something that's going to happen every single year. Yeah. So the question was, and I, and I know that uh, we have talked about this before, you, you can't really give just direct investment advice, but the question is, what do the little guys with a little disposable income need to be doing right now, finding 4.5% CDs pretty easy? nibbling on ETFs. And so I, I think that what what you could say is that, yeah, there's a lot more opportunity to invest in fixed income securities, yeah. very low with no risk, so, so and depending, do pretty well. Yeah, so depending on where you are in, in the life cycle, are we closer to retirement or are we in the early accumulation? If we're in a more accumulation phase, look, basic dollar cost averaging, big advocate of international diversification right now. We see the dollar hmm. turning. We see a, hmm. a, a big run there. Look back to a period like from 2002 to 2007. We think it's going to be a good comparison. Um, but the mistake people are going to make is they're going to flock into CDs. And they're not going to lock any duration in. And then what's going to happen? The Fed's going to cut next year. They're going to be forced to cut interest rates mm -hmm. because we are going to go into a recession. And that's the way and it's then, going to and, the then, and then you're stuck. Well, you could go in today and lock 5.2% in for five years in a, in a multi-year guarantee annuity. It's like completely principal guaranteed. Or there's other principal protection, protected options. So if you want to be super, super safe, know you can't lose money, there's better options than CDs and you can lock in some rates. Or you can go buy you know, high you know, investment-grade bonds. Like I said, we're talking with Fidelity today and core bond funds with yield to worst of 6% in them. I'm taking that over locking in a three-month CD because that rate is going to go away as soon as the Fed starts cutting, and then you're going to be back to square one. This is something you, you know, since I first started doing business with you, you uh, discussed this option with mm -hmm. me and highly recommended that yep. we allocate some there, which we did. Yep. We've got we've got uh, decent uh, investment there. And, and the most redeeming, I think, quality of those investments, besides you've got good return, is it's principal protected. And think about this, right? compared to a bond, so you didn't lose anything last year, and you had some liquidity that you could pull out of it. Well, if you were selling off your bonds like Silicon Valley Bank, you took a big haircut on yeah, anything exactly you were selling. Right. So the point there is this is the kind of stuff you guys can help with. You yep. know a lot about that. You know where um, those sorts of securities are available mm -hmm. and, and, and how to help someone get invested in yep. those. And it's it's pretty dang good deal. And and I'm and I made it clear to you as part of my investment yep. objective, I want to protect principal. Yeah. 
let's protect it. Let's have some income and let's build it. Yeah. Income growth and guarantees. That's our mantra, right? If you want to hang, we come back and start talking about the economic future. Let's do country. one more, yeah. All right. We got All Jeremy right. Nelson from Element Wealth in the Element Wealth Studios. Okay, is everybody ready? I'm ready. Ready here. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. On Super Talk Mississippi. Let's see, the president is in, the, is in Ireland today, correct? I think he headed out to Ireland. I think he took Hunter with him. So while the president is jetting off to Ireland, we got economic issues. You, you were saying off the air, and I totally agree with you, it's a great way to put it, that we're taking our eye off the prize. I, I often describe it as we're more consumed with pronouns and where to pee than we are the truth. Yeah, the true issues facing our country and our world. We got hot spots uh, across the globe. We got China saber rattling in Taiwan. These kinds of things affect investors, affect the affect the market. It's not just economic data, but it's geopolitical events as well. Yeah. Look. Uh, so here's here's my take on this. We are at an inflection point where. You know, we're running a $1.3 trillion deficit today, right? We're running a bigger deficit than in the peak of the financial crisis. Right. Right. And, you know, and look, this 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 isn't just a Democrat thing. This has been under Republican administrations as well, right? Yep. So for many of our, you know, Democratic listeners, we're not just picking on you here. Yep. This is, this is an issue where we haven't balanced a budget since the early 2000s. Right, and we continue to run deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper deficits to the point now where we have thirty-one trillion dollars of debt, and you've got Social Security that is no longer fully funded. Right, right, and Medicare, and Medicare. So you've got you've got these big, big issues, right? And instead of our politicians actually looking at what's going on, right, and and the Fed has basically bailed us out, right? The Fed has bailed out bad fiscal policy for 15 years That's since right. the financial crisis, right? Yep. So the Fed was able to just kind of push, you know, interest rates down and, and hold them down. There was no inflation, right? Asset prices grew. Everyone felt really good, right? Valuations kept going up and up and up, and our home prices kept going up and up and up and up. Well, the party's over. For the first time in 40 years, we have inflation, right? The Fed is not going to be able to go back to the same playbook in the manner that they did previously. So now, all of a sudden, markets are going to have to readjust to more normal long-term interest rate policy, right? Um, the Fed's got to potentially do something about their balance sheet. If the dollar starts declining heavily, they might have to you know, really do things to support the dollar. Mm -hmm. um, so you've, you've got some real issues there. And politically, we're... we're sitting around not solving uh, the real issues and, and getting down to economic policy and tax policy and all these things, right? We're, we're just, we're fighting about 
just crazy things. Just yeah. like, I, I mean, I can't, um, I mean, yeah, if you told is. me 20 years ago that this is the stuff that we'd be dealing with and fighting, I'd be like, you're, you're nuts. There's no way. But here we are, right? So the eye is off the prize, and it's going to take um, – It we're not going to do anything until there's a crisis. And there, this could turn into mm. a bigger issue down the road. Yeah. But this is not a one-time issue. This is going. This is going to be a multi-year period of time. I said this in 2018. I looked at the forecast of where we were going with deficits and, and what was going to have to happen with tax rates, and how much we were going to be paying in interest on the debt. And, and we're there. Interest rates are up, right? Mm. And you know we're going to have. Some, there's going to be a bumpy road here. So we've got. Uh, we're still. I don't think totally out of the woods with respect to the the banking situation. You know, most folks in Mississippi, of course, they bank with yeah. regional or community banks. We don't have a big presence yeah. of the top four or five um, SIBs. Uh, we don't have a lot of J.P. Morgan and Bank of America. Mm-hmm. We do have some Wells Fargo presence. Some yeah, city Chase, bank. Yeah, Chase presence. is Chase is moved Chase in got a little, little bit. bit yeah. Uh, but uh, overall, I think most of us, if if we were to take a poll there, would find out most people bank with regional banks or, yep. or community banks. Yep. Credit is tightening big time. We just talked about uh, some recent reports on that. That's going to slow the economy down. That is absolutely going to slow the economy down. Um, you know, and we're seeing things like credit card debt ticking up, you know, to the highest levels we've seen in a good while. We're seeing the savings rate coming down dramatically. And although the unemployment rate is is hanging in there uh, at, at low levels, the jobs that we're losing are high income earning jobs, yeah, right? True. And that there's an there's an economic impact to that. And I haven't really heard anyone talking about that too much yet, but I think that's that's a bigger issue. Now, I don't want this to sound like the the Jeremy Grantham doomsday. This is a bigger <laughs> bubble than 2000. I, look, I, I don't think that, right? Yeah. I, I think that we're just going to enter a period for potentially a decade hmm. where it's buy the dips and sell the rips, hmm. right? You're going to have to be a little bit more nimble, a little more tactical, uh, really think if you're in retirement, thinking about your distribution strategies. You know, I, I don't want our listeners to take away from this. Uh oh! I need to go. You know, bury everything or buy gold. Right? I'm just saying, it's it, the environment's going to be different. You can see it setting up. It is happening. So you want to be forward thinking with uh, with what you're going to do from an investment perspective, not backwards looking, saying, "Hey, what worked the best over the last ten years?" Because what worked the best over the last ten years probably is going to be the worst. Gotcha. Well, and again, we got another question. Uh, what about the best investments in the short term for people in the five to ten year? from retirement, I mean, how do you allocate a portfolio, some yeah. balance there? So, I mean, I look at it like this. Like, let's say if I'm five to ten years out from retirement, you know, and I was in a target date fund, I'm probably 60, 70 percent equities in that portfolio. You know, maybe I want to be 40 or 50, you know, a little bit of risk off the table, maybe a little more bonds. Hey, if things are good, I'm giving up a little bit of upside. But if things are bad, uh, I'm, I'm a little more conservative. I'm going to hold on to more. And then when it's down, you can always readjust and go back up to that 60 or 70, right? Sure. That's the idea of buy the dip, sell the rips. It's not go all in, go all out. It's manage risk, Yeah. right? Play it closer to the vest. Give up field goals instead of touchdowns. Yeah. 
That's a good point. So, uh, point is, there's still a lot of ways to make money in this market, in these market conditions. Look, I, I'll tell you this. I mean, I, I am very, very bullish on you know investment grade corporate right now. Uh, we've been dumping high yield. We're a little bit concerned that credit spreads could blow out if we go into a recession. So we're going a little bit more high quality right now. If we're right, we go into a recession. That's going to create a nice opportunity to buy back high yield, yeah. right? Uh, we're focusing a little more on international diversification, right? Valuations across the globe are significantly lower. They're two-thirds to half of what the U.S. trades at right now. And they're actually, a, I mean, I hate to give France credit, but they're actually doing something about some of their issues, right? They That's are. why people are rioting, because they're changing the retirement, the retirement age. retirement age, right. And we're not doing anything here. Right. We're just kicking the can. They've been doing it since 2011. True. Since the European debt crisis. So, uh, with respect to high quality, explain that to our, our audience. What do you mean by that? So, high quality. So, if we think about the U.S. Treasury as you know the the risk free asset, right? And so that's your double A plus, triple A, however, depending on the rating agency. High quality just means investment grade, good, high quality companies, right? Strong, good, strong companies, balance, good balance sheets. sheets right. They're not going anywhere. They're not defaulting on their debt. High yield is when you start going, you know, triple B and below. A little more risk. A little more risk involved with those bonds. Default rates are higher. You know, you're compensated with more yield, but don't get sucked into that, right? You want to be a little more on the high quality right. side right Co now. Company experiences a hiccup and they default yeah. uh, on those bonds, on those yeah. loan pay. And you're yeah. sitting there with that principal bond, your investment, and you got high yeah. yield, but now it's worth nothing. Yeah, and even with your within your equities, right? If we think about quality. Companies with good balance sheets, pay dividends, history of increasing dividends, right, versus highly speculative stocks with big P.E. ratios. Yeah. So, and I think most people understand the concept of mm -hmm. high-risk equities versus low-risk equities. Yeah. Same applies to bonds, though. Absolutely. The same yep. applies. So the other thing that's going on, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, is that we're seeing uh, dividend-paying stocks get more aggressive with dividends. They're also having to compete somewhat with the fixed-income markets. They're, yeah, they've, they've got to attract capital, right? Because people are looking at it and go, well, hey, I can get, you know, 35 4%, depending where I am on the curve on, on Treasuries. There's little or no risk. Yeah. And so, look, why don't I, you know, instead of owning these dividend stocks, I'm going to go over here. Now, long-term, that's a mistake. Now, you might get it in the short term, it could work out because if the stock market goes down, you're going to look like a genius. Right. But long term, if you own companies that pay dividends or ETFs that, uh, or mutual funds that have dividend paying stocks, those companies are going to increase those dividends. So you actually have a rising income stream over time. Whereas if you're just hunkering down in the portfolio, you know those rates could go down. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes total sense. So uh, still, still lots of opportunities. I'm still bullish. Uh, on America. I know I you are as well. Yeah. We have a lot of great companies doing a lot of great things. We just got to get the dang government out of the way. We will sort through this stuff. It, it, the end of days is, is not upon us. you know. And that's what I want our listeners to walk away is, hey, look, there's going to be some challenges. You need to have a plan. But but also, don't panic. Don't be emotional. Yeah. Right? Be, be smart. Be logical. And uh, manage your risk. You'll be yeah. okay. And I know a lot of people that have written us today, they're, they're um, approaching retirement yeah. and they're they're nervous you know yeah. they've seen their 401k plans and so forth decline in value they're looking to protect their principal yeah. make sure they got a way to live and get well, and, and stop working and there are ways to do that there you go yep jeremy nelson All partner right. at element wealth has been our guest really appreciate it jeremy thanks, thanks man thanks coming right back with another segment in this hour then don't forget 
At, uh, after the top of the hour, we've got Riley Gaines. Stay with us. It's so awesome! Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Come on, let's get on with the show! On Super Talk Mississippi. Back in the Element Well Studios. Appreciate Jeremy coming in today, and always a delight to talk to him. Such a crazy financial world out there, but the good news is there's still lots of opportunities. We haven't seen just this sharp increase in the stock market like we did uh, post-pandemic. Of course, that's after it fell precipitously. But still, there's um, a lot of smart people like Jeremy that can help you navigate the the uh, rather complex waters there and produce a uh, a nice return for you. Sports Talk Mississippi. They're going to be live at Divini Equipment and Rental in Madison tomorrow for their spring dealer days. Come enjoy food from. Country meat packers, giveaways, equipment demos, and so much more, plus instant coupons from Kubota. That's Sports Talk Mississippi on Thursday at Divinity Equipment and Rental on Highway 51 in Madison. And then Good Things with Rebecca Turner will be live on Friday from 2 to 3 at the Laurel Mercantile Yard. They'll be talking about the hit TV show, Hometown, and Laurel Mercantile and Scotsman Company. So that ought to be fun down there in Jones County, Mississippi. Uh, Rhino, please provide the audience with a Jackson Garbage update, will you? (laughs) (laughs) Well, before that, I I give another Jackson update. Apparently, according to reports, Jackson, the city of Jackson, only has $400 remaining in their legal fund. Yeah. Well, it's related (laughs) to the garbage stuff because they're always in lawsuits. Oh, yeah. And now they are looking into the legality of reimbursing residents of the capital city for the garbage services that have not been rendered but have been paid for. Unbelievable. So so they're going to reimburse all the folks that were damaged by not having garbage picked up. Which, if I'm not both. mistaken, is $35 a month. Okay. So and the, the attorney for the city of Jackson is saying that they are looking into the legality of reimbursing at least a portion of that. Mm. What a mess. It's garbage. It's water. It's crime. It's potholes. Speaking of potholes, you see what the governor was doing out in California? Filling in his own potholes. He got sick away for the government. How long until he gets hit with a fine? <laughs> That's exactly what's going to happen. Because it is California. <laughs> gonna get you can't fined. do anything that makes any level of sense out there without getting in trouble <laughs> somehow. Oh, my gosh. Oh, man. So, also keep in mind, I'm thinking about tax season here, tax deadline day approaching. New $600 reporting threshold goes into effect as part of the American Rescue Plan 
of 2021, which, of course, passed on totally on party lines. So that... That does a whole lot to rescue the economy. Yeah. Let's send the feds and the IRS after people with side gigs and side hustles trying to make ends meet because Biden sucks. (laughs) So under the previous law, of course, any sort of transactions you had on the various electronic platforms like PayPal and Venmo only had to report those to the IRS if over a year you had at least $20,000 of such transactions payments. Um, More than 200 commercial transactions that amounted to more than 20,000. So a lot of people do uh, use those platforms, various sorts of services, organizations, lawn services comes to mind, odd job, handyman sort of stuff. And uh, folks will just use Venmo. You, You can't help but see it on the Venmo. If they're doing it and it's uh, they're making those transactions, posting those, and they're flagging them as available to the public, you see those kinds of transactions. But it's those rich, wealthy business people that have to pay their fair share. Such a joke. So the point being, the twenty thousand dollar two hundred transaction threshold is out the window this year, and it's now six hundred bucks. So. That is going to ensnare lots of people who have more than $600 in a year of such transactions, commercial transactions, um, that where they use PayPal, Venmo, and other third-party payment platforms. This is going to cause a nightmare for the IRS because these documents are going to be sent to the IRS as a record of all those transactions. That's got to match up with your tax return. Oh my gosh, what a joke that's going to be. You know what? If taxes weren't so dang high, you wouldn't have all these people trying to figure out a way to avoid them. That's the bottom line there. And and they don't even come close to covering the amount we spend, which is really sad. But uh, it's top of the hour here on Middays. That means Fox News, Super Talk News coming your way. When we come back after that, it's Riley Gaines. All-American champion swimmer. Stay with us. And now, now. another hour of the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin your transition now. Now on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Hour three of middays live from the Element Wealth Studios on this. Hump day. Joining us now, Riley Gaines, All-American champion swimmer. Riley, good to see you again. It's nice to talk to you again. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. So we wanted to have you on um, since we last talked to you when you were here in central Mississippi uh, championing your cause of not allowing, disallowing biological males uh, from participating in female sports competition. 
You spoke last Thursday, I believe, right, at San Francisco State University, and it looks to me like you were ambushed by some activists who didn't agree with your point of view. Tell us what happened. I sure was. Um, I guess my first mistake was going to San Francisco in the first place, but truly I want to get in front of people who don't agree with me, which I knew this was the environment for that. And so I went to San Francisco State and I delivered a speech. Um, the room was filled with protesters, along with people who were there in support. But it was after the speech, after I finished out answering all the Q&As, I was ambushed from people outside of the room. I'm talking hundreds of people in this mob who rushed in the room. They turned the lights off. They stormed um, the front of the room where I was, and they, mm. they physically assaulted me. Um, I, I was then I was escorted out of the room by a police. Um, to when we went in the hallway, we were met with even more ambushers. And so I had to sit in a classroom along that hallway for three hours where I had to lock myself in. Um, I was barricaded. Hmm. They were negotiating money if I wanted to make it home safely. Um, I missed my flight home because there was no safe passage for me to get out of the room. Um, it was truly quite, quite the experience. So they tried to extort you. They Absolutely. demanded money for you to just be able to safely exit the campus. Correct. And the, the campus police who were there, I, I'm always grateful of police force. Um, I, I think they are, their job is admirable. They're so brave in what they do. But this campus police officers, they did a very poor job in ensuring that I was able to leave safely. They did not want to be assertive. They did not want to be seen as anything other than the ally to this community. And so it resulted in, in me being barricaded, kidnapped, essentially, held hostage for ransom Unbelievable. for three hours. Unbelievable. So do you believe, Riley, that these activists were students at San Francisco State University? Yes, um, they were, because I know this, because the... Um, one of the administrators released the statement afterwards in an email to all their students and said she's so proud of so their it. students for being so brave. Um, by, by it, she knows how hard it can be to have a difficult conversation, and, and she's applauded them for their bravery and peacefully protesting. Uh, Her word, peaceful. It blew my mind because we must have <laughs> we must have different definitions of the word peaceful. That, that would be Jamila Moore, Vice President for Student Affairs and Enrollment Management. I I watched the videos. I've seen the still photos as well. It doesn't look very peaceful to me, there, Miss Moore. I'm not sure what uh, what evidence that uh, you consumed to come to the conclusion of peaceful protest. Did you feel like it was a peaceful protest? Oh, my goodness, absolutely not. Um, I feared for my life in a couple of those moments. Um, it, it was chilling to think about what these people wanted to do to me, what they were screaming they were going to do to me. Um, I could hear outside my speech, even in the hallway, I could hear protesters chanting. They would say, trans rights are under attack. What do we do? We fight back. <laughs> they were telling me that I should have never come to their campus. I should have expected this, this. Did I really think I was going to come here and not get physically assaulted? Um, so by no means did it feel peaceful in my eyes. Um, actually, even just today or yesterday, I believe, one of their student body presidents released a statement saying that, um, that I was the perpetrator of the violence, that I was the one who came to this campus, and my discriminatory rhetoric 
um, was what incited the violence, and I was the one who was responsible. And she actually called the police force who were there to protect. She said it was excessive and uncalled for. So they're equating your spoken word to their physical ambush, assailing, assaulting, and extortion for for freedom and safety. That, that's equivocated here by the president of this university. And let me just reiterate exactly what I was there to talk on, okay. <laughs> because people yes. listening to this yes. might think I'm some sort Please. of domestic terrorist, but... What I was there to talk about was my lived experience in competing at the highest level, our NCAA championships, I swam for the University of Kentucky, competing at that level against a biological male who transitioned the year prior, swam three years on the men's team at University of Pennsylvania. Um, his name is Leah Thomas. He went from ranking 462nd among the men to that next year winning a national title with the women. And so what I was there talking about is how this is unfair, how it's harmful to women, how Title IX is not being upheld, how sharing that locker room space is uncomfortable, it's traumatic, and how the silencing of our voices, what that looks like. Right. And so my whole message is not an anti-trans message. It's a pro-fairness message. I believe, of course, trans individuals should be able to play sports, but it's just about playing where it's fair and where it's safe, and that's not what we see when we have trans women or biological men competing with the women. Right. Exactly. Well, you're incredibly brave, uh, and I want to also pass on to you that my daughter, who is uh, 32, uh, is a huge fan and was really excited to know about you coming on the program today. She's a school teacher, so she's not able to tune in, but she'll catch the, uh, the replay in, in the archives. So what compelled you to go to San Francisco State? This past year, I've made it my mission to make changes, not just get on Fox News and complain about it. I want to do something to make changes, and so I've been traveling around state to state testifying um, in different legislature and different House and Senate, um, because I think it's really important to make change that way, but I'm also trying to engage the younger generation, my generation. I'm 22. How can I get people who are my age to open their eyes and feel comfortable in expressing their own opinions? Yeah. Um, and so I've been traveling all around. Last night I went to Liberty University and spoke, which was a, a nice, refreshing, <laughs> a breath of fresh air compared to San Francisco. But I do want to get myself in front of adverse crowds, not for any reason other than to, to talk to people who don't agree with me, who, who need to hear this. Yeah. That's what my goal is. That's what my mission is. And that's exactly why I went to San Francisco State. What do you think, Riley, about these uh, 40 athletes, Olympic athletes, that have all come out in favor of allowing transgenders, essentially biological males, to participate in women's sports, sent a letter. It, um, the word that comes to mind is, of course, hypocrisy. Because when you think of someone like Billie Jean King, who was once, I mean, she, we have a large part to a credit to her for having Title IX in the first place. And when you think of someone like Megan Rapinoe, yeah. who... No, we don't agree on a lot, but she did fight for equal pay. She fought for equal uh, equal access, equal resources for women compared to men. And now both of these women, along with many others who have publicly said, are fighting to diminish those rights and protections that they once fought so hard to get. Um, and I think it's worth noting that these athletes who have signed on to this letter, they're done with their athletic career. And a lot of them don't have daughters to defend, and so they have nothing to personally lose. By, by fighting for trans inclusion in women's sports. Yeah. So that's what we're seeing, um, which 
again, it's just ironic is the best word for it. It's I don't see how they don't see the double standard in what they're fighting for now versus what they fought for when they claimed to be, when they were self-proclaimed feminists. It's unbelievable. We, we said the same thing in advance of uh, this interview on the show earlier that, hey, I got my trophies, I got my medals, um, you know, you guys need to, need to clean it up and be more virtuous. So they call it gender equity. So they're saying that uh, allowing transgender women, that would be males who transition to a female, um, that allowing them to compete in female athletic competition would be Equal equity, gender equity. That sounds crazy to me. No, I um, I agree with you. And again, it just highlights the <laughs> really just the again the hypocrisy. It, yeah. it feels so quickly that we shifted really views because, of course. Uh, in the recent years, it has been the left that has always embraced empowering right. women and, and equal pay and all the things we just mentioned. But now, so quickly, we've shifted. Yeah. And it, it makes you sit back and wonder, you know, why? Why? Why is this going on? What's the bigger picture? Are there ulterior motives? And we're seeing this happen not only in just sports, yep. but prisons. And we're seeing it in the education system and so many other aspects of life. And it does, you have to step back and, and think, you know, what is the bigger picture? What are they trying to accomplish? Because... There, there is an ulterior motive. Totally agree. About finding out what that really looks like. Totally agree. Riley, you're incredibly brave. You're, you're brilliant. You're obviously a very beautiful and talented athlete. We thank you so much for joining us on Middays. We're going to keep tracking you, keep up the fight. Thank you, Riley. Amazing. Thank you guys so much. You got it. We're coming right back in the Element Well Studios on Midday. Stay with us. That keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's get on with it. On Super Talk Mississippi. So, what makes Riley special in my view? Unlike these activists who acted like total fools and who ambushed her and intended to cause harm and then tried to shake her down for money, for freedom and safety, unlike those fools, she's been affected personally by this garbage. This is a person who obviously worked their entire life. She's 23. But if you're going to be an all-American swimmer, you've been swimming a lot. Like every day, likely. Multiple hours a day, every day. Right. To rise to the pinnacle of that sport. All to have it robbed from you by some idiot who thinks they're a girl, and a university who is complicit, and an NCAA who's also complicit. 
and everybody looks the other way. Because feelings. It's ridiculous. So she's not just a person like you and me, for example, who oppose this crap. She's a person who's paid the price for it. She's borne the burden of this twisted crap. It's, it takes a special person to then speak up about it. But how could you not say that, as she said, her lived experience doesn't give her instant credibility to talk about this? Of course it does. It's pretty high on the intersectionality chart for the liberal leftists and loonies. Exactly right. Lived experience. That's exactly right. Precisely right. So, but they're dismissing this one because it doesn't fit their radical ideology. And that's what's different. But how brave are you to go to the belly of the beast, San Francisco University? And I, I'm going to say once again, and you know this, Rhino, it ain't just San Francisco University. There's nutty crap like this happening across the country, especially in Ground Zero's college campuses. Always has been, always has been for anything that departs from mainstream culture. It usually takes hold, is rooted in college campuses. And I think that's just because we're such impressionable but somewhat smart people at that age. Smart relative to when you're going through grade school, you are pretty much do whatever adults tell you to do. I would argue the vast majority of liberals on college campuses are educated beyond their understanding. That's a good point. I would agree with that. They know a whole bunch of $5 words, but they can't actually use them in a sentence. That's a good point. So, uh, that sort of stuff uh, bothers, uh, for sure. And this, this gender equity stuff, I don't see how allowing biological males to participate in female sports... It can be held as gender equity. That just doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. In fact, if anything, it's it's inequitable. It's it's unfair. Just look at the rankings of the male swimmer trying to swim with the women. When he was a dude, he was ranked in the four hundreds. True. And then he switches over to swimming with the women and starts winning. Uh, totally true. T completely true. So I have been a subscriber to The Economist for a long time. I don't even know how long. I get yesterday's issue. I, I get both the digital and the print version. Yesterday's issue, the front page, what America has got wrong about gender medicine. What the hell does this have to do with economics? I subscribe to this for the economic content. I enjoy that. And sometimes they do have very good content. But they've become more involved in social activism. Again, largely since the George Floyd incident. And that's, that's the front page. That's the cover page. That's the, uh, the headline article. And it basically goes on to talk about 
how America and Europe are somewhat different in their approaches on this. I was a little shocked to learn here that it seems that, at least in their view, America, the, the medical community in America is uh, more supportive of gender affirmation care and all the various Well, of course, drugs. they're seeing dollar signs. Yeah. Whereas, Whereas in England, it's state-funded health care. That's true. Every time you get some dude that wants to be a woman and you put him in line, that takes somebody who's got cancer down the list. Very true. Because of fully socialized medicine. I mean, fully socialized as in all the healthcare professionals work for the damn government. Uh, so the article says across Europe, several countries now believe that the evidence is lacking that it's safe and effective, that being gender affirming care, and that such interventions should be used sparingly and need further study. I was a little shocked by that. They say in the article, there's some data here I wasn't aware of, it's, it notes that it's an estimate that there were over 42,000 new gender dysphoria cases diagnosed in this country in 2021. That that is three times the number of 2017 in a short four years. So, something's going on there, obviously, and maybe that's because we praise it, we laud it, we glorify it, we encourage it. Maybe that's why 42,000, which is still a fraction of the population, but that is a lot of people, a lot of, a lot of kids and teenagers that are confused about their gender. At least they say they're confused about their gender. Well, what's one of the main things teenagers just seem to crave? What's that? Attention. What's the one thing that these loony people wind up getting more of? Attention. Yeah, and that's been around a while, has it not? Oh, yeah. It's been emo, punk, goth. Any You can think of any kind of clique that was in a high school you went to. The vast majority of those kids did it for attention. So, uh, I'm going to read this to you, folks. This, this was... Uh, this is an excerpt from the letter sent to the, I believe, to the IOC, to the International Olympic uh, Committee. And that is from f uh, former Olympians and other female athletes. 40, it says 40 professional Olympic and Paralympic athletes. Oh, they actually sent it, oh, my bad, to the House of Representatives. So I misunderstood. I thought they sent it to the IOC. But this, this is an excerpt from it. We believe that gender equity in sport is critical, which is why we urge policymakers to turn their attention and effort to the causes women athletes have been fighting for decades, including equal pay, an end to abuse and mistreatment, uneven implementation of Title IX, and a lack of access and equity for girls of color and girls with disabilities, to name only a few goes on to say, our deepest hope is that transgender and intersex kids will never have to feel the isolation, exclusion, and othering. What the hell is that? What is othering? That when you're not normal. <laughs> okay. That 
H.R. 734 is seeking to enshrine in law. And that's why, okay, so they're protesting a Republican-led effort in H.R. Measure 74 entitled Protection of Girls and Women in Sports Act, which would ban transgenders from participating and intersex girls uh, from competing in women's sports. So they're, they're all bent out of shape about that, and they send this letter to the House of Representatives and urging them not to support it. So they're, as a result, by definition, they are in favor of transgender and intersex people, which would really be biological males that have crossed over somehow magically and said they're a female, competing against the likes of Miss Gaines at the highest levels of athletic competition. Let them go play football and basketball and tee it up. You know, that's happened before where they've teed it up and they play golf. And there's not even close. Not even close. Tennis. There's a myriad of sports. What do you want to do? Should we complain to God about how he made us? Maybe there's some wisdom behind that. Who wants to question that? I'm pretty sure every person on the planet was born to a woman. We're coming right back on Middays in the Element Well Studios. Everybody ready? I'm ready. Ready here. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. We are back in the Element Well Studios. It's midday, Super Talk Mississippi. We appreciate you joining us on the ceasefire text line, the 662. Women haven't had rights long, and now we're quickly losing our rights again. That's a good point. It's like Rhino says all the time where are the feminists that, of course, protested, worked hard, advocated for, led the fight, the effort to establish women's rights? If you could call it that, I, I mean, it wasn't too long ago when I was growing up, the big women's lib movement is what we called it. Gloria Steinem, I think was her name, was probably one of the chief spokespeople there, the uh, notable figure. Uh, Jane Fonda was involved somewhat in that as well. Was it Gloria Steinem? Was that her name? I think so. Was the big, uh, we called her the big women's liber. And, in fact, you remember when the early days of the Rush Limbaugh program, that's the way he would refer to it, is the, you know, the women's lib people were always wanting to shove that down your throat. Well, I don't see how any clear-thinking person couldn't conclude that, yeah, major improvement change has been made there. I, I just don't see any examples, frankly, at all of discrimination, mainly in the workplace is what you it, you it gets talked about. And I've asked before, and I just don't see anybody coming forward with uh, any empirical evidence that that's even going on. But nonetheless, I think it's right what you've said. They're the ones that 
could enable change here. They're the ones that have to come up, come speak up and say, this is hurting women. This is not fair to women. This is diminishing the rights. This is, uh, this is frankly, it's vacating much of the progress that's been made. I totally agree with that. That's why I'm so disappointed in these athletes, 40 athletes that, that write to the U.S. House of Representatives saying, uh, no, don't pass this bill that would ban males from participating in female sports. Don't do that. I completely agree. I, and if you took any of those 40 women and put them on the court, on the field, in the game for their sport of choice and gave them an injection of testosterone, they would be competing illegally. No because testosterone it. is considered a performance-enhancing drug. That's right. And, and do you not recall Riley explaining to us, though, that they've set the thresholds so high that... Uh, Hardly anybody fails it, something to that effect. And so it's it's more symbolic than any, oh, look, we have a test. They passed the test sort of deal. They keep changing the standards on that. Yeah, but that test only tells you the testosterone level at that instant. It doesn't take into account the years of development yeah, yeah. while being washed in testosterone as a dude. Yeah, you're right. Um, and so Malcolm from Tishomingo says, let them have a transgender league. And I know that's the, that's the solution a lot of people propose. But again, I say that costs money. Having a nut, whole separate league, think about the cost of that in the K-12 school environment. I mean, that's a whole different potentially set of, of, of coaches and scheduling. And, of course, you've got to pay officials because you're – now you're doubling up, essentially, on the number of events. There's a lot of travel. I mean, it's just a bunch of costs. Which is why I say if you want a quote-unquote inclusive league, just rename the men's league to the inclusive league. <laughs> because, again, I say you never hear of a single situation where one of these quote-unquote brave men who dress up like women stay on the men's team. Totally agree. They don't want to compete against men because Heck they no. lose to the men. They want to go beat up on women because they know they can win because they have a competitive advantage. That is true. It's exactly what it is. It's beating up on women. How could you? How could a Leah Thomas again feel a sense of accomplishment? I mean, it's a big deal to win a, a national championship in NCAA swimming. That's a big deal. And this idiot robbed that opportunity from someone who deserved it in Riley Gaines. But that's considered equitable. That's how upside down this is. Shaq and Charles Barkley would be cool in wigs, says John from Pontotoc. I believe Britain's doctors are on strike today on the ceasefire tax line. I know there's been lots of problems with the national health system over there. Uh, it, it's been well-documented and reported quite a bit in the news lately over in Britain. Hmm. The left says that men should be allowed to compete in women's sports. Women should be allowed to use performance-enhancing drugs in those competitions. All this crap makes me sick. Men and women, men are men and women are women. Stay in your own lane, says Brian and Madison. 
The United States has become the laughing stock of the world because of all this, says Stanley on the ceasefire text line. Certainly in some parts of the world. Yeah, exactly. Not a big fan of gladiators, but it is idiotic to have men competing with women, says Larry and Jackson. I, I just... It's crazy that you even have to discuss it, and but it's been thrust into focus in our society, in our lawmaking. Who would have thought we would have had to pass laws banning men from competing in women's sports, banning administering this, this uh, gender-affirming treatment? They'll call it care. It's gender-affirming care like reproductive rights and reproductive care, killing a baby. That's reproductive care is the way they want to describe it. That's like saying, well, it's weight management care that we hid all the cookies from the anorexic. (laughs) What needs to happen is for all the women to refuse to participate against dudes, says Robert Brandon. Robert, there are examples where that has happened. We talked about the... um, Remember there are examples where entire schools got punished because they had students that stood up and said, we don't want to do this. Exactly right. So that's the risk that Rhino points out there, is that you get not only ostracized, you get condemned, you get censored, uh, uh, censured, I should say. You get uh, all sorts of other bad stuff happens to you. In the case of Riley Gaines, they come to attack you and then try to shake you down for money. So that's, you know why people are quiet. Nobody wants that sort of controversy in their life. Shouldn't have it, honestly. Shouldn't have to worry about it. And all the trans activists are emboldened because they believe the asinine conspiracy that they are being genocided. No doubt. On the text line, Donald in Oxford, is anyone suing the NCAA for this Title IX? I believe Riley is suing the NCAA for her swimming issue. The Title IX, I I don't know that I've heard any, but you do know, folks, that the Biden administration, once again, promulgating rules and regulations at the agency level, not from the Congress, from the lawmakers, is looking at uh, it, it changing the funding mechanism, amending the funding mechanism where money goes from the federal government down to, certainly in education, uh, down to the states, to the school district level, if a state bans transgenders from participating in female sports, or I think as well if they prohibit gender-affirming uh, surgery. So this, this is being considered right now part of the Title IX program. Uh, by the Department of Education, I believe it is. These aren't lawmakers. These are bureaucrats that once again run the country. Not the members of Congress. They don't run the country. Not the president. Nope. It's the agencies. And there's another example where they're going to perhaps tie the availability of funds to whether or not a state allows transgenders to participate in female sports. At the same time, we've got the EPA once again going rogue, exceeding their authority, and they're looking to force you to buy an electric vehicle now. 
They're instituting new so-called tailpipe standards that are going to make it almost cost prohibitive to own a traditional fossil fuels powered vehicle. Uh, very, very tough, stringent tailpipe emission standards are being considered right now by the EPA. The goal, if you've seen the stated goal, that by 2030, half the vehicles sold in this country would be EVs, and by 2032, 60%. That's their goal. They're going to force you. China sure loves hearing that. Oh, they're laughing their butts off at our stupidity on this stuff like this. Because they're going to make a killing. No doubt about it. Because this is where all the components and the materials and the batteries come from. Absolutely right. We're empowering China on that front, and we're propping up the price of oil for the Russians because we won't drill anymore here. And that's how they're funding the war, and they're about to take over Ukraine. It's going to happen in two months. Coming right back, final segment. It's so awesome! Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Come on! Let's get on with the show! On Super Talk Mississippi. On the ceasefire text line, there is a sport for these folks who agree with this crap. Cheerleading. <laughs> hey, don't knock cheerleading. That is tougher than it looks. I agree. It actually is. Especially um, when you get into the upper levels where it's co-ed and you have the lifts and stuff. Uh, you're a gymnast is what you are, and a very skilled one to do that uh, sort of stuff. And it doesn't seem like it, but it does require a fair amount of upper body strength to hold a cheerleader up in the air. Yeah, it, it does. I, I've done it. It is hard. I totally agree. So, uh, let's see. Da, 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 on the ceasefire text line, there was something else. In the late 80s, when I was attending college, if you thought you were anything other than your God-given gender, you were considered mentally ill. Nothing has changed, in my opinion, says Pam from the Delta. I think that's uh, what a lot of more clear-thinking physicians who oppose just jump into treatment, as in physical treatment, surgery, the tops and the bottom stuff, and um, uh, also just lopping off your male parts and doing some tucks here and there, and nips and tucks to turn that into a female part, and then pumping you full of all, all these drugs. Yeah, they're saying, no, we shouldn't be doing that. You you got a mental problem that needs to be treated and addressed. So I agree with you on that, uh, And Pam. then the unspoken part of all that, the doctors don't even warn the transgender individuals of the risks associated, like numbness from the waist down. I didn't think about that. Or having to wear a catheter or a colostomy or any number of things, because it's a tricky procedure. Yeah. That has a high fail rate. Well, which is why you end up needing care your whole life, just as we discussed, a professor at uh, Vanderbilt University informed her colleagues, her medical professional colleagues, this is great, they'll be hooked on our services for life. That's what she was saying, no doubt about it. Uh, let's see, if something else I got on here. Why not have... Uh, a male class, female class, another class. Yeah, so we, we've talked about that. I know everybody thinks that's the way to do it. I'm just going to say again, because it costs a lot of money. That's why. I don't want to pay to have a whole other special class 
of competition. Which, that's the conservative argument against it. The liberal argument against it is that it others the transgenders. That it, it is not inclusive enough. That you are, right, you are making them feel less than. So they have to be included uh, in what's right already there. That. You're right about that. That's, that goes back to the bathroom debate. Uh, that's right. You're excluding them by creating a whole new class. That's a, precisely right. That ain't what they want. No, they want Leah Thomas to go beat Riley Gaines and get the national championship. That's they want what they you want. to live in their fantasy world that has no basis in reality. And if you question their fantasy and try to impose reality, they get very agitated. So totally agree with you on that. You're exactly right on that. Does the Olympics do the Olympics let transgender people compete? Why can't we use the international standard. Yeah, they do. And so the standard is, as Rhino was talking about, there's a testosterone test. Is it, and there may be something in addition to testosterone, Rhino, but I, the testosterone is what sticks in my head. We asked Riley about that when she was here about a month or so ago. And remember what she said was, well, gosh, they've got the threshold set. Because she went through the, the science on it, the, the, the testing parameters in thresholds, uh, whatever's measured specifically in the in the the measurement unit, I can't remember the value. But bottom line was, what what would disqualify you from a testosterone being present perspective is so high up there that even some males that haven't gone through the hormone treatment could still qualify. So it's a farce, honestly, is what basically I think she was saying. So, Larry and Jackson says, my nephew wants to be a dinosaur. Should we have surgery for that? Don't get started, because, Rhino, I know you've read a lot about this crazy people out there, the furry people, <laughs> all that stuff. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Rhett and Ridgeland says, should a diagnosis preclude an individual from passing a background check or firearm? Well, Rhett, that actually opens up a whole other discussion about, I think, a lot of the, a lot of the folks... Uh, these people that are out committing these heinous crimes, these shoot 'em up, like we just saw in Louisville, like we saw in uh, Nashville, um, the um, the school in uh, Texas a couple of years ago, uh, Uvalde. Uh, yeah, these people are all sick in the head, but we don't diagnose them anymore, or we maybe think, or we suspect in the medical community, but we don't treat them. We don't. We don't, like, commit them, and therefore they're just running free, and they end up manifesting as a, as a shoot-em-up, as a killer, essentially. So, yeah, Red, that's a core problem. Uh, Mike, you didn't offend me. <laughs> I'm just, I just, Rhino's right. This idea of let's just have a whole new class, I oppose it. I'm always thinking economics. It would cost a whole bunch more money, but you're right. That's not what they want. That, so there was a time when, you know, the, the idea of, well, we don't discriminate. We don't see color. That's it. No, you can't say that. That's discrimination. If you're colorblind, you're racist. That's exactly right. That, that's the, the same thing. Same exact thing. We're out of time here today, folks. We thank you so much for joining us. We hope you enjoyed the program. Uh, we certainly enjoyed our guest today. We'll be back tomorrow. Until then, stay safe and God bless. Talk Mississippi Media Production.